Amen. Well, amen. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for being here to worship with us at Calvary. Uh, I just, every week, I'm amazed uh, for a lot of different reasons. First of all, just if you're at Calvary today with us, and, uh, and if you're not here, I'm not talking to you, but <clears throat> like if it's one of your first times here or something, just relax and sit back because you're just going to see all kind of stuff and hear all kind of stuff. All of it's going to be Christ honoring, but we do just about every kind of music from Bach to rock, and uh, we might have two grand pianos playing a beautiful uh you know, you just never know what you're going to see, a, a beautiful offertory, or, um, and you might be seeing choir members crawling under the pews while they're doing that, but uh, <laughs> you just thought that big pulpit hid you, didn't you? But we love each other. It's one of the great things about this church family. We love one another, and, and we try not. We try not. We all fight the flesh, but we try not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And uh, <clears throat> because really the gospel tells us that we are just debtors to Jesus in a huge, huge way. And today I was a little bit late getting here, and uh, I just about didn't find a parking space. I mean, I'm not kidding you. I thought, man, we have a real problem. And, uh, and goodness gracious, alive. I had to go way down, turn around. Somebody was stopping, let me back in. So we apologize for that. We're working on it. And, uh, but, it, but it is a great place to be. And the reason that that is, I believe, is because God is honoring the preaching and the, uh, of his word. He's honoring the fellowship and true fellowship of the saints. He's honoring the worship. And uh, he's just honoring the fact, I think, that we're practicing his word, trying our best to follow him. And so it's great to be a part of something that Jesus is doing, be a part of a live church. All churches are not dying, trust me. There are some who are alive and well, and uh, rumors about death have been greatly exaggerated. But anyway, yesterday we had a funeral here. Uh, Kenny Thomas, well, Kenneth Thomas was a member of our church, actually a regular attender of our church, Herb Thomas right here, uh, his nephew. And at that funeral, um, we probably had minimally 10 to 12 people accept Christ, pray a prayer <coughs> of repentance. Uh, toward God and prayed a prayer of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. Early this morning, I get a text from Louise. Louise, raise your hand if you don't mind right here. Louise is one of the nicest ladies. She leads, led for a while our senior choir. She's not able to do it. She's had some knee surgery uh, and everything, but she is just a godly lady. She's one of my heroes in the faith, really is, and very prim and proper, and I try to watch it around her all the time. <laughs> y'all know me I'm apt to goof off a little bit just a little bit but life ought to be fun and uh, so this morning she sent me this beautiful message thank you so much for the way you serve the Lord thank you for all you do Pastor Jack the way you delivered the gospel yesterday was very simple people could understand it numbers of people got saved and I understood she had had a conversation with you Tony that uh, some immediate family members of Kenneth had been saved and she said maybe even and she named one fella and I was going to send back because I was rejoicing. I said, yes, that's absolutely right. I had asked during that message, I don't want to embarrass folks, it was, a, it was a funeral, right? So I asked them if you just, I led, I had everybody bow their heads, and I said, if you just prayed that prayer and you really meant it, everybody's heads was bowed, I said, would you just lift your head and make direct eye contact, look me right in the eyes, just look me right in the eyes. 
And so she was asking me about had one individual done that. She was texting me, sent me a text. I said, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, he did. And when I asked him uh, at the invitation, I said, he, he of one of many looked, lifted his head, <laughs> looked me directly in the, <coughs> now I said, directly in the eyes. Now I talk Southern. Just a little bit. Thank you, Louise. I don't need your help. No. <laughs> but especially about 7 in the morning, I must talk real Southern. And uh, I get back a me text message almost immediately from her, and it said, He looked you in the what? <laughs> now, I was voice texting, right? So I'm going, oh, no, what has autocorrect done now? <laughs> and you're right. It, it said, when I asked folks to respond, he looked up and looked me directly in the eyes. <laughs> I'll let your mind do the rest, all right? I'm typing back furiously. No, no, I meant eyes, eyes. <laughs> I wasn't turning around this way. Now some of them, now Joanne, some of them got it. They got it that time. <laughs> so I want to be clear. <laughs> Clearer than I was at 7 a.m. At 11 a.m. I want to be incredibly clear with you today. I want to talk about this because as I looked around this building Wednesday night, we have a great midweek Bible study where we really break down God's word and get into it. But as I looked around, I just saw, and I'm learning you and I'm still learning you, there wasn't a person here that I couldn't look at and almost immediately know of some pain, some suffering, some challenge or trial in their life. So I want to talk to you real clear today about the pain in your life. America is a pain-conscious nation. Everywhere you look, there are advertisements for pain reliever, pain killers, pain reducers. Science continues to come up with a lot of formulas, but not a whole lot to do about emotional pain. And the fact is, pain and suffering is really a part of life. If you never have pain, any pain whatsoever in your life, that you would have to be inhuman. I mean, we have physical pain, we have emotional pain, we have spiritual pain. And what has happened to us many times is that the world around us, media, everything else, <coughs> have taught us a lot of myths about pain. They, they're lies, they just aren't true. Some of them are harmless, innocuous, but others are very destructive. One very destructive myth that the world teaches us about pain is this, and, and a lot of us believe this. Well, you know, if I just ignore the pain, it'll go away. In other words, if I can block it out of my memory, if I can pretend that it never happened, if I can just gloss over it, never deal with it. Here's another Here's another myth that says this, that says something like that. You ever heard of this one? It's easier to avoid problems than having to face them. Oh boy, that's a huge one, isn't it? 
You've heard of that, but sure. But it, but the problem is it's just not true. The famous psychologist Scott Peck has said this, and I quote, fearing, fearing pain, almost all of us to a greater or lesser degree attempt to avoid problems. We procrastinate, hoping that problems will go away. We ignore, and we pretend as though the problems don't exist. We attempt to get out of them rather than suffer through them. This tendency to avoid problems and the emotional pain inherent with them is, now listen to this, <coughs> it is the primary basis of human mental illness. Wow. Now the fact is, as we come here for nourishment from God's word, God doesn't want you to ignore your pain. God doesn't want you to avoid it. He wants you to discover the cause of the pain in your life so that you and I can find real healing, real biblical relief. See, pain is, like we kind of talked about last week, pain is like a warning light, and it's, what it's doing is just saying something is wrong. Now, it's not wise to ignore a warning light. It's not wise to ignore your pain. It's saying something's wrong. The truth is, <coughs> write this on your outline, pain really is a tool that God uses for good in your life. That's what pain really is. It's, it's a tool that God uses for good in your life. Now, the problem is when we're going through a tough time, when we're suffering, we don't know what the good, the outcome is. And so that makes it really difficult to bear the pain because if pain doesn't have a purpose and doesn't seem to have a purpose, really hard to handle. Uh, this morning, I want to take you through what I believe are five things that God says about pain in his word. I put a lot of the verses and things on your outline just so you'll have them for the sake of time. But five ways that God uses pain for good in your life and mine. How can God use my pain for good? Number one, using some old King James language here, but number one, God uses pain to goad me. To goad me, what is that? It's an old English word that meant to motivate, to goad, means, uh, means to spur into action. Uh, I used to, was a kid, and we'd go around to these auctions where they had livestock, and these guys who were tending it always had these little sticks with a sharp end on them, or sometimes they were even electric things, you know, battery-operated. Cow wouldn't go a certain way, they'd prod him and uh, goad him and uh, her and get them to move the way they wanted them to go. Now, pain spurs us into action in that same way. I mean, I won't go to a dentist. One of my best friends in the world is my dentist, but I won't go to him until the pain gets really bad, so bad that it's greater than my fear. And then I'll move into action. Some of you can agree, amen? But listen, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. That's, that's because pain prompts us, it goads us to do things that we'd rather put off. It pushes us and pain will compel us to change. And when we finally hit bottom, then we're ready to change. There's a story in the Bible in Luke chapter 15. It's called the story of the prodigal son. It should be called the story of the prodigal sons because both of the sons were very disobedient but 
this son comes to his father, gets his inheritance. He says, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm sick of this. Give me my money, and I'm ready to go. Well, he goes out, and he parties, and he throws this extravagant lifestyle. But then when everything ceases to be happy, in Luke chapter 15, verses 14 through 18, you read these words. And when he had spent all, in other words, he was broke, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and guess what? No food, he's hungry. And he began to be in want, that is, he had real needs now. He came to himself, and here's what he said. I will rise and go to my father. I'll go back home. The hunger pains, literally hunger pains, finally motivated this guy to move and change his lifestyle. <laughs> By the way, any of you ever have hunger pains? No, I mean, I'm talking physiologically. You ever get hungry? And I, I get hunger pains. I'll start hurting so bad. Some of us have them perpetually, you know. I mean, stay hungry. And uh, I, I tend to do that, you know. You know what you do when you get hunger pains, don't you? You run for the border. And then you get more pain. But you go to Arby's because they have the meats, right? The other day, Kim, Kim said to me, I eat all the time. Kim said to me, you know, Jack, when we went to bed last night, there were two pieces of pie in the refrigerator. Now there's only one. Can you explain that? And I said, sure. I didn't see the other one. <laughs> I mean, you know. We, we went to the steakhouse, they had a fantastic salad bar, one of these unbelievable, you'd eat all, everything you wanted, and I went to the salad bar five times. On the fifth return to the table, Kim looks at me and said, uh, honey, are you not getting a little bit embarrassed? <laughs> I said, no, because every time I've been going, I've been telling them I'm getting it for you. And... Uh, <laughs> No, I better get back where we were. <laughs> Just a little side track there. Talking about hunger pains, motivating you. God uses pain in our lives to motivate us, to goad us. And the truth is, the truth is, now look right at me. We would rarely change if life didn't become painful. Think about it second reason God uses pain and the positive way that he uses pain in our lives is this. God uses pain to guide me. To guide me. In other words, like a bit in a horse's mouth, God takes pain and he takes us and turns us, guides us in a different direction by using pain. I think the next slide is a verse. If it is, yeah, I want you to read this out loud with me. Just read along with me. It was good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver. Now, who wrote that? King David. What had happened to him? He had suffered and been in a lot of pain. In fact, he uses a strong word. It's one thing if somebody says, boy, you really are sick. That's another thing, man, you really are suffering. I tell you, I don't ever want anybody to say, man, you sure are afflicted, right? 
David's saying, it was good for me. It was good for me that I was afflicted. David is saying pain was God's teaching tool. God ever gotten your attention through pain? Hmm? Oh, yeah. And you're well aware of it, aren't you? Years ago in the ministry, going wide open, doing tons of stuff, going from, I was a workaholic, and God had to force me to change my lifestyle. I collapsed in the pulpit on a Sunday night, lost four and one-half years. took me four and one-half years to get back to a level of normal, not excelling, but normal leadership ability. Exhausted, burned out. Let me tell you, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he is yelling at us through our pain. Not, I shouldn't say yell, I should say yelling to us, not at us. Let me correct that. I mean, he shouts to us in our pain, and he's saying, hey, I want your attention. Hey, I care. And boy, does he get it when we're in pain. You know why he does that? Hebrews 12, 7 says, If you endure chastening, God is dealing with you as a son or a daughter. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Now, how many of you parents wish, you just wish, that you never, ever, ever had to discipline, not even one time, your children? Wouldn't you say, oh, I wish I never had to. I wish I never had to do that. Sure, but now... How many of you same parents, even though you'd rather not have to discipline, sometimes you still have to do it anyway, and why do you do it? For their good. Sure. Out of, why do you do it? Out of love. Now, God is the same way. You must understand, God is not just an example of a good father. God is a perfect father. He is a perfect father. You have a perfect father. Father, and God doesn't want to bring pain into our lives. He doesn't like to bring pain into our lives, but sometimes God has to do it anyway to discipline us and to train us and to move us in the right direction. It's not because he's angry. It's not because he's retaliating. Now get this down. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has already punished every sin you will ever commit through the sacrifice of his son on Calvary's cross. So God doesn't punish his children. He disciplines his children for their own good, but he doesn't punish them. He's already punished Christ. But he will discipline us, not because he's angry, not because he's retaliating, not because he's getting you back, not because he doesn't like you and wants to get revenge. He does it because he loves you. Some things we only learn through pain. Hmm. In fact, <laughs> some things you learn by getting burned. Amen? I'll go a step further. The person who has never suffered at all really knows very little about life. Now, I don't really care to be around people just as far as hanging out who's never had any pain in their life. They've never had any pain, any suffering, any... I really don't. They're phony. They're fake. They're superficial. 
and they think everything's so easy, and they're always telling people, just snap out of it. it it's okay. Life's, life's a flower. It's okay. Life's okay. Well, it ain't a flower for me right now or for you right now. I, I, I could care less about stuff like that. I'll be honest. So what God does, God takes pain in our lives, and he goads us, but he also guides us. He doesn't just say, get moving. He shows us which direction he wants us to go with the pain that we have in our lives. But we never need to doubt God's love because his motive behind all the pain that he either sends or allows into the life of a believer is ultimately for our good. Third point, God uses pain not only to goad me and to guide me, he uses it to gauge me. Doesn't it always kind of mess with you if you've thought about it theologically? I like to think theologically all the time if I could, but when people pose certain questions, when they say something like, you know, I'm going through a really tough time, and I think God's just testing me. And then they'll say this, I think he just wants to know whether I'll pass or fail. No, 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 no. God is omniscient. God knows whether you will pass or fail. God doesn't have to put you through anything to know, for him to know what you're made out of. God is not gauging you for his knowledge. He is gauging you sometimes, sometimes, not always, but sometimes with pain for your knowledge. He wants you to see the gauge. He wants me to see the gauge. God uses pain to help me see what I'm really like on the inside. For instance, when I experience pain, the way I react to it can be a great gauge of my faith. Uh, my commitments can be gauged by how I react to pain in my life. My maturity certainly can be gauged by how I react to pain. My patience, <laughs> right? Big one. It can be gauged in how I react to pain. It's one way of seeing what's on the inside of you. You know, I say this. People are like tea bags. You don't know what they're like and what's in them until you drop them in some hot water. That's true. And you really don't know what's inside of you until you face the test of pain. Now, the Bible often compares pain and suffering to a refining fire. Most of us now don't know what that means, but it's a fire that a refiner of gold or precious metals would heat up really hot, put the precious metals into some type of a container, build a big fire underneath it, let it get it so hot that it melts the gold. The gold becomes liquid, and as it heats it up, all the impurities rise to the top. Hmm? You get heated up. Certain things rise to the top. Certain things come out. Now, you know what the refiner does? He that's called dross. It's all the impurities that come out of the gold. He'll take a little scraper and scrape off all that junk off the top. Then he'll do what? Heat it back up again and heat it back up again and heat it back up again and all more impurities come to the top. He scrapes it off and scrapes it off and goes through that time and again. Do you know how the refiner knows when the gold is pure? I'll tell you where. How? It's when he looks inside of it and there's no dross. What he sees is a reflection of his own face. Sometimes, just sometimes, 
God uses pain in your life to burn off some impurities, to burn off some things that shouldn't be there so he can see his reflection in you much brighter, much clearer. Now the question is, the question is, that hurt that you are struggling with right now, the pain that you are experiencing this week, here's the question. What are you allowing it to burn off in your life? You know, pain will burn off selfishness. Pain will make you a whole lot more unselfish. If you'll let it, pain will burn off. Oh, listen to this. This is good. Pain will burn off materialism. You're in a lot of pain. You don't care a lot about stuff. Pain will, it's a great refiner, pain of ego and pride. Pain pops an ego balloon, boy. Pain will burn off impatience. So many things. You know, this verse is just on your outline, but I put it on there for you. Isaiah 48.10, God is speaking, and he's talking to the Israelites. He says, Behold, I have tested you in the furnace of what? Affliction. See, God wanted the nation of Israel, each one of them, to see their need for him. So he put them in his refining furnace. Sometimes pain is a test. It exposes the real you. It shows what you're really like on the inside. You know why? Because it's, it's impossible to maintain a fake image when you're really full of pain. Isn't that true? I mean, you know, you're feeling good. I mean, you got your game face on, everything's good. You, you got your makeup on, you got your best clothes on, you, you, you're feeling pretty good. You, you've got your image. You can walk in a certain way. You can carry yourself in a certain way. You can talk to people a, a certain way. But listen, just give you three days at home with a bad case of the flu. <laughs> your hair's all disheveled and you look ugly <laughs> ugly ugly you couldn't care less about image at that point amen <laughs> why because you're miserable and when you're miserable you don't care about image it's the last thing you worry about and God says that's good because you ought to care more about character than image anyway now, pain really tests your character. You say, well, I'm a, I'm a person of integrity. Yeah, but when the pain is on, will you stand for the truth or will you buckle under and compromise? You may say, well, I'm totally committed to Christ. But when the pain occurs because of your commitment to Christ, you're going to throw in the towel and forget that you call yourself a Christian? You see, you can say one thing, but pain will reveal what you really are. Look at this verse, I think, on your outline also. James 1, verses 2 and 3. My brothers, count it all joy. Now he's telling us this. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. You know what pressure reveals about your faith? When you're in the squeeze at the office, when you're in the squeeze at the home or 
when the people, kids around you at school are putting a squeeze on you? What, what are the true colors that show up there? Are you a fair-weather believer or are you a consistent, solid believer? God may be saying to you today, you know what you're going through? It's just a test. You know what I'm doing? I'm gauging you so you will know what's really inside of you. And you will come to your senses and realize, listen, listen, and realize that I am all you need. We, in this life, are constantly, I'm not scolding you, I'm just telling you, I do it too. I said we. We constantly set up idols. We would never say it like this, but boy, if I could marry him, I'd be great. No, he's not a savior. Oh, if I could marry someone like her, oh, it would be so incredible. My wife would treat me like she treats me. No, she's not a savior. There's only one savior. There's only one who never fails. There's only one who's perfect. And our hearts need to get fixed on him. And when they are not fixed on him, I tell you, he will allow pain to come. He didn't always send it, but he will certainly use it to refine us and give us a gauge on where we are. And you'll find out what your walk with Christ is. It's a test. I want you to know what's inside of you. And I want you to know that I'm all you need. The fourth way God uses pain is to guard me. Did you know that? God uses pain to guard me. You know, sometimes God allows pain into our lives to protect us for something worse. I was so thrilled. There's some guys here. They love me, and I had a, they gave me a scooter, brand new one. Loved it. Worked on it. Got it going fast. Put a header on it. Did all kind of stuff. Had it ready to go. Took it down to the beach. Chained it up with a, with a uh, titanium lock. Riding it around the beach, having a great time. Brand spanking new. Didn't even have 200 miles on it. Chained it up to the camper in a nice campground. Got up the next morning, went out to eat breakfast, came back, no scooter. I thought, well, did I park that darn thing around the backside or something? No, walked around the backside, and as soon as I looked at the front side, snip. The cable had been cut. The scooter was gone. I went on a tirade. I got so mad. I rode around that place for two solid days of my vacation looking. I'm not kidding you. I saw a guy look like a wino riding down the street on one. It looked exactly like my scooter. Exactly. It had a little red trunk on the back of it. I saw him. He went by me, and Kim said, that looks like your scooter. I said, it sure does. Looks like your moped. I said, it sure does. I whipped my four-wheel drive truck around. I saw him go in his house, park that thing. He rode around the backyard, got right up against the house, parked it. And I said, he's hiding that scooter, and I got him. I busted him. I called the law on his butt. <laughs> and the cops came out there, and when I got out, I had my 45 combat commander on my side. The cop said, sir, you can't wear that out here while I talk to him. Because <laughs> that'll leave you put it back in the car. He hounded that guy for 20 minutes. The cop came walking back up there and said, this is not your moped. 
that guy looked like he was three sheets in the wind. <laughs> I felt like I needed to go buy him a six-pack or something. You know, <laughs> just abuse the guy so bad, you know. just He's got it. He's got it. I know it's him. I was so mad. I was talking with a friend. I said, you know what? It's all right. God might have known I was going to get killed on it. got to listen we got to learn God's in control the things we're going through aren't just accidents there's no panic in heaven just plans amen now did you hear that no panic in heaven just plans God hasn't lost the control of the universe and scrambling around trying to figure out a solution for your problem or your pain God uses pain a lot of times not every time but sometimes to guard us prevent us from getting involved in something we shouldn't have been involved in. Maybe doesn't want you in a certain place. So you're not there because of pain. I'm simply saying this. Painful emotions are saying to us that something's out of kilter. When I feel extreme depression coming on or I feel resentment or I feel anger or worry or I feel apathetic when I feel fear, when I'm overwhelmed with hostility, it's saying to me, Jack, something is out of whack. Something's out of balance. And God is saying, I want you to get this corrected. Have you ever seen this picture? It's the white European Jesus that doesn't exist, but anyway. Just forget art. Everybody's seen a picture like that. That's one of the great classics. Jesus is a good shepherd. He's got a sheep around his shoulders. You don't usually see shepherds carrying sheep. Did you know that Middle Eastern shepherds, this is what it's depicting. They have a sheep that's prone to wander off, prone to go out and get attacked, prone to won't stay with the flock, wants to run off by itself and do dangerous things, and they want to protect it. They don't want some wolf to eat it or get it caught up in the thickets or the briars or something like that. They want to keep it close. You know what a shepherd will do? A shepherd will take a lamb that is prone to wander. He'll take that. You ever heard in the 23rd Psalm, thy rod and thy staff? The staff is the shepherd's crook. The rod is a stick with which he can beat off a wood, uh, a wolf, but he'll take that, the shepherd will, if he's a good shepherd, and this one keeps running off into dangerous places. A Middle Eastern shepherd will literally break one of the sheep's legs with that rod. But he doesn't leave it. He's not punishing it. He picks it up. And he carries it, and he keeps it close to him. And he nurses it back to health. And he has to feed it by hand, and, and he has to give it water by hand because it can't walk. And he lets that leg heal. And that shepherd, that sheep over time, being carried by that shepherd, will grow and heal. And through the pain, he will grow to love the shepherd so much and be so close to the shepherd that he will never again leave the shepherd's side. But it's because the shepherd loves him that he does it. I love the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. 
first chapter of Joseph's life is a horror story. Everything goes wrong for this guy. Forty years, he's neglected, he's rejected, sold into slavery by his own brothers, falsely accused of rape. Then he's thrown into prison, and then he's forgotten in prison. The guy says, I'll remember you, and he forgets him. And I don't know if you're aware of this. You do a chronology on it, most of us just read that story. He spent 14 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit, falsely accused. Whole life, just a massive heartache. But if you read the end of the story, you realize God was preparing him, and through those circumstances, he ends up actually getting elevated and promoted to second in command in Egypt. And he saves not only Egypt, but Israel too, God's redemptive nation and God's redemptive plan through whom Messiah would come, Israel. He saves them. At the end of his life, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, his brothers are there, and, and they're apologizing for what they did to him. And you know what he says? He says, as for me, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, you listen, I'll tell you this a thousand more times. There are obviously some people in our lives, in your life too, they meant to harm you. Some people in your life mean to harm you. They may have harmed you as a child. They may be harming you right now, emotionally, physically, in some other way, carrying out their plan to harm you, an intentional plan. And they may hurt, but listen, God says, to you today, I have a plan for you, my sheep, that is bigger than that. And they may mean it for bad, but I will use it for good. Our God is great, wonderful at turning crucifixions into resurrections. in Joseph's life when he was being lied against by his brothers when he was in the pits when he was sold as a slave when he was thrown into prison when, when Potiphar's wife lied against him when he was forgotten in prison again all through that time guard, God was guarding all through that time God was guiding all through that time God was goading all through that time God was gauging and strengthening him for greatness because listen, there is no greatness without pain. I close with this. Another great way God uses pain is to grow me. God uses pain in our lives to grow us, to make me mature. There's a great book out called, uh, been out a few years, it's called Grace grows best in winter. Margaret Clarkson. It, Grace grows best in winter, and I love that title. You see, it's possible to grow spiritually and emotionally during the bright, sunny springtime or cheerful, sunny days of summer when everything's going great and life's fantastic. Sure, you can grow in that time. Sure, you can grow when life's fantastic. But you grow really far and really deep now, I'm telling you, 
you grow much more in the darker seasons of your soul and life than you do in the good times. You know it's true. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it through 30 years of ministry. People who've told me, Pastor, that divorce was the toughest thing I ever went through. But I'll tell you, I've grown more through it than anything else in my life. Losing my job was the toughest thing. I thought I'd never make it. But boy, did I ever learn to depend on God. I've grown more through the loss of this loved one than any other. I've grown more through this illness, Pastor than any time of health. I've grown more through this crisis than in any other way. I've grown more through this lonely period than any other time in my life. Why is that? Because grace grows best in winter. Grace grows best in pain. And that's why God uses pain to grow us. It's on your outline also, James chapter 1, verse 4, for when the way is rough. This is a paraphrase of it. I love this version of it. When the way is rough, your patience has a chance to what? Grow. So let it grow. Don't try to squirm out of your problems. Then you'll be ready for anything strong in character, full and complete. Now, I want you to write this somewhere on your outline, this sentence. Write it down. Pain is the high cost of growth. It seems trite, but it's true. There really is no gain without pain. It just doesn't come any other way. No five easy steps to a wonderful, stress-free life. It just doesn't, it doesn't happen. There's no gain without pain. A lot of times that's what we want, isn't it? We want the product, the end result, without the process. You say, what's the product? I want to be mature. All right, you're going to go through some tough stuff, and it's going to mature you. I want emotional stability. All right, then you're going to go through some tough stuff, and you're going to learn. I want health and wholeness. I want confidence and meaning and significance. I want my life to really count. All right. You want those things, the product, but you don't want the process, which is pain and suffering and tough times. I challenge you, now look right at me. Think of the godliest person you could know right now. I will guarantee you that person that you're thinking of. Can you think of their name? Can you see their face? I'll guarantee you they went through a lot of pain, didn't they? Hmm? Yeah, sure. They learn through it. It's God's way of growing us. It's God's way of growing us. And so, look, but look, you, you can't <laughs> shortcut it. If I were to summarize everything I want to say to you this morning, it would be this. The very thing that is discouraging you and hurting you the most right now, that's the very thing that God wants to use to develop you. And it is not an accident. Look at the verse now on your outline that you just read. Look what it says. When the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. Your perseverance has a chance to grow. So let it go. And what does it say? Don't try to squirm out of your problems. Then you'll be ready for anything strong in character, 
full and complete. And pain never leaves you where it finds you. It always moves you. My question as I close is this. Where is your pain that you're going through now, where are you allowing it to move you to? Stronger in Christ? Closer to Christ? Away from Christ? Weaker in Christ? Don't waste your hurt. God never wastes a hurt. Never. We waste hurts all the time. God never does. Pain turns some people into saints, but it turns other people into sinners. Pain makes some people bitter, but it makes some people better. And here's the deal. Now listen to me. I'm as serious as I can be. The choice is 100% up to you. God's working. God's got it. You're all right. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's right on time. Amen? Amen. Now, aren't you glad you came today? Go out of here and grow in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you love us and you care for us so much that that you don't let a single painful thing enter our lives and you just waste it. No, no, no. You want us to learn and you want us to grow more into the image of your dear son. Thank you that today, even every one of us who is hurting in some way can say, okay, I'm going to let God guide me. I'm going to let God grow me. This is showing me where I need to work on my faith, where I need to work on my maturity, my attitudes. And God, I want to learn from this. So I'm asking, Lord, you to move in my life. I'm asking you, God, to guide me. And I surrender to it. I won't run from it. I want to grow in it and through it. In Jesus' name, amen.